Thank you for tuning in. This is the Recap with Rob, a separate segment off of the Popcorn and Pop Culture Podcast. Play the music! For this episode, I'm going to be talking about two things. Number one, I just saw the movie Coco, so I'm going to be recapping and reviewing that movie. That's Pixar's latest, and then after that... The Golden Globes are coming up, folks, so I'm going to break down some of the categories and give my predictions. All right, so let's just get right down to it. I saw Coco, Pixar's latest animated feature, starring a bunch of people. Um, For those who don't know me, I love Pixar movies. I absolutely love Pixar movies, and Coco is just such a marvel. I uh I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed. I won't give any spoilers during this recap and review, so don't worry if you haven't seen it yet. But just right off the bat, I'm going to say this is a film for children and adults, and those are the best Pixar films. Um, Pixar, you know, st- movies like WALL-E and Toy Story and The Incredibles. These are movies that can be enjoyed by both adults and children alike. Which is like, you know, one of their good movies recently was Inside Out. But I kind of feel that that kind of appealed more to adults than children. It was just done in an animated way. So I think it's really nice. And then The Good Dinosaur came out also. And that was just like strictly a child's film. Like I did not enjoy that movie at all. So to have a film like Coco back to its roots where it appeals to both adults and children alike. Excellent, excellent. Um, Coco is a film that is immersed in uh, Latino and uh, Mexican culture, and it is phenomenal in that way because basically from a studio with a lot of white dudes, it's kind of interesting that they, they, they pivoted towards a different type of story that they wanted to tell. And I applaud them, and I applaud everyone that was involved, because even though it kind of didn't seem like the best idea, they really executed it well. And Coco is certainly a film that it, it really thrives off of this, you know, Mexican culture that they 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 just throw us right into. You know, we're 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 inside of this family and a family life of uh, you know, having you know, Hispanic parents and grandparents, and the main character is Miguel, and he's just this little boy that kind of, like, loves music, but because of his ancestries, his great-great-grandfather, I'm trying to see if I can get this right, his great-great-grandfather was a musician, but he left his wife because he wanted to pursue music, so from that point on, they were totally against music just for that very one reason and it was like it almost becomes a sin to even sing or to play the guitar or to even think about anything musical and it's hilarious because um you know because they do they do things that are the characters in this movie do things that are very very authentic and that is a plus because reading up about people talking about this movie or just listening to some comments about how Coco portrayed this Mexican culture, it really seems like the Pixar writers and the Pixar team put a lot of time and effort and research into, you know, how to treat this 
as authentic as possible, and they really seem to take care of the small details here and there. Um, the first, you know, 20 or so minutes is basically about Miguel and uh, the life that he leads. You know, the, they're, they're his family. They make shoes, and they have made shoes for generations and generations, and they're really proud of their work. And, you know, he starts out as a shoe shiner, and he goes into the plaza, and they're, you know, the mariachi band, they're playing music, and, you know, he falls in love with um, this Ernesto de la Cruz character, who is, like, the most famous musician in the history of Mexico. And, you know, it's really, it's really, really, really good the way that... I, first of all, just the way they talk. So I want to talk about the specifics that make this movie so, so good. And the way they talk, again, I don't, you know, I only speak English, but from things that I've read and things that I've heard of, that the people, you know, you know, Mexican and, like, you know, Latinos that live in America, they have this thing called, it's like a broken Spanish, broken English, like a Spanglish type of way they communicate with each other, with their family, with their parents, and so forth, and they totally embrace that in this movie, and it's not like, there were no subtitles, and it's not like, you know, how sometimes in, like, a show or a movie, um, uh, you know, a Spanish character could be like, you know, mi tío, mi tía, and, like, you know, mi abuela, and then, like, right after they say something in Spanish, they'll clarify what that word was in English, like, yeah, mi abuela, you know, my grandmother, you know, that's what she told me, like, they don't do that here, they simply talk so authentic, and so fast, and so, you either catch it, and you know what they're talking about, or you get the context from what they're showing while, you know, the characters are talking, or, you have no idea what they said, and they just go on, because that's the way, you know, they, they, they discuss things, that's the way they talk, and it's really, really nice. Now, because I had the privilege of taking a couple years of Spanish in high school, I kind of grasped mostly, like, 90-plus percent of what they were saying when they didn't speak English. But I'm not saying that, like, that's even necessary, because it just, it feels really nice. It feels real, it feels real. And it feels like a, how a real Latino, you know, family would interact and talk with each other. So I really appreciated that. Um, but the movie as a whole has to has a lot to do with, you know, your ancestors and respecting your elders, respecting your families and your culture's traditions, and that means a lot because. I mean, I'm a second-generation um, Chinese-American, so my great... No, my grandparents were immigrants from China to America. So in a way, from generation to generation, it's kind of been... I've kind of been... We've kind of been losing more and more traditions. But still, for me, there are traditions that, you know, growing up, I didn't understand. And to this day, I still don't understand. There are some things that we just do certain times of the year to celebrate, you know our Chinese culture, and I feel like Coco really, really hits that home in such a, a, a well-executed way that we have this little boy, Miguel, and then, you know, there's there's a lot of these things that they, his family do, does, I'm sorry, <laughs> and he doesn't quite get it, he, he might not quite understand it, he doesn't even like half the things that goes on, but his family just... They just, they just perform, and they do these traditions, and it's almost, 
not making him understand the traditions per se, but understand the importance of these traditions to his family and to his grandparents and great-grandparents and how just because of that importance, it's important for you as well to keep those things going on, to remember the ones that we loved so, so long ago. And so this movie greatly revolves around uh, La Dia de Muertos, the Day of the Dead. And it is a celebration of, you know, people in your family, loved ones that have passed. And you put up their pictures, uh, you have a whole ceremony, you have, you have a feast, and you basically, you know, offer them all of these goods. And it's like a day where the land of the living meets with the, the land of the dead, and you kind of just, like, remember them and keeps their spirits alive. And it's really, really, really well done in Coco, in this movie, because it is so energetic, and it's so lively, and eventually, you can't, this isn't a spoiler, but eventually Miguel gets into the land of the dead, accidentally, or somehow, and and just just the colors and the visuals that they use to showcase the land of the dead is just so exciting. And it's it, it pops out so much. It is just such a great and amazing, uh, such a magical world that they create. And it, 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 it drives the movie. It drives the, the bulk of the movie home. And all the characters feel alive. Even though, And they show, they show the characters as like skeletons when they live in the land of the dead. So when Miguel kind of tr- uh, crosses over, they're just like, oh my god, there's a, there's a live boy here. And there, there, are, there are plenty of jokes. Pixar movies kind of are like either really funny or not that funny. And I feel like Coco is on the other end of the spectrum where it's not that funny. There aren't too many jokes. There are jokes. You have your typical sidekick. You have your typical, you know, villainous character. You, you have your bumbling idiots. You have your main character who's just trying to, you know, find himself or solve a problem and so forth. So it has that whole formula there. But overall, everything involved in this film, in my opinion, what I loved about it so much is the attention to detail and... I feel like I was so enlightened by this, you know, Mexican culture after I saw this movie. And it really did just make, even if you're not, you know, Hispanic and you don't have any idea what this culture is, you can easily find things in this film that is that are relatable to you. Because what I took out of it after I saw the movie was just how much, how rich all cultures are. And especially my own, you know, Chinese culture, we have such richness and and there's so many traditions that we uh, participate in every single year and it made me kind of proud of all the things that I kind of continue to do traditionally with my family and with my loved ones and with my friends even to introduce them to some of these cultures and it's just a celebration of the variety and the diversity of the world and on top of that it's really just about respecting and kind of like cherishing how great grandparents can be and even even your grandparents or if you're lucky enough to even have great grandparents they are they are just like treasures they are human treasures that you just have to hold on to as long as you can and the movie also deals with a bit of dementia especially with the great grandmother character but it is such a charming movie it's definitely a movie that will make you cry so be warned 
<laughs> you're going to need a couple tissues at the end because it's certainly a film that tugs at your heartstrings. But overall, a very, very well done movie. I won't say it's one of Pixar's greatest because it's not. It's not up to the quality and the level of movies like, you know, Up or Wally or Toy Stories or The Incredibles or even, even Finding Nemo. But it's not a bad movie at all. It's a very, very good movie. I would put it in the middle of the Pixar uh, canon. But that being said, you know, I highly, highly recommend this movie to anyone, children or adults. And if I had to give it a rating, I'd give it like, you know, a B plus. A minus, right, right in between on that border. So I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Uh, I'm gonna take a small break because I gotta drink a couple, a cup of tea, get my voice back, and then I'm gonna come back and talk about the Golden Globes. Hold on. All right, all right, all right. Enough of that. It's Golden Globes time. Now, Golden Globes Awards are kind of like the kickoff of awards season. And movies, you know, the good movies, the award season movies have been coming out for the past month or two. But the Golden Globes are kind of like the first ones to announce their nominations. They're the first ones to have an award show to kind of put these certain movies in the light, being like, oh, will it win best picture at the Oscars will he or she win best actor at the Oscars because the Oscars are the big one they are the Super Bowl Golden Globes is just like one round of the playoffs basically you got to go on you have the the guild awards like the SAGs and DGAs and the PGAs that are really important too to, as a precursor up to the Academy Awards but you know this is just the beginning but that being said December 11th are the Golden Globe nominations and when they're going to be announced so everyone has been voting so forth to trying to see which movies are going to get in. We'll see. And the Golden Globes Awards are going to be telecasted on January 7th, Sunday. So it is coming up. It's definitely coming up under, um, you know, a month or so. So let's get right down to it. I'm only going to be looking at the movie categories because those are the ones I'm really excited for. And like I said, this is just kind of like the beginning of Oscar season. So for Best Picture Drama, we have a bunch of movies this year that have made a splash. And there are, I would say there's maybe seven or eight movies that could definitely be nominated. I don't know how the Golden Globes do it. I think they only pick five for drama and five for comedy and musical. And for those who don't know, remember, for the Academy Awards, they only pick about, you know, eight, nine, ten movies to be nominated for Best Picture. But for the Golden Globes, they separate that huge category of best picture or best best movie into two separate categories of drama movies and comedy slash musical movies. So they kind of circumvent certain um, outcomes and certain matchups because they're going to separate them. Like last year we had La La Land win for best comedy and musical at the Globes and then Moonlight won for best drama at the Globes, which everyone predicted because everyone knew it was Moonlight and La La Land, the, the two strongest films. So having this happen in the Golden Globes didn't really didn't really make a difference because everyone knew that those were the two big movies going into award season, and they both won the big award. So Golden Globes kind of like were useless in that sense. But for here, let's talk about Best Picture Drama. We have quite a few big names and. 
I don't think there's a bigger movie right now in award season chatter than Christopher Nolan's war epic Dunkirk. This movie came out in the summertime, which gives it a little bit of an unlikely awards movie, but it is just a spectacular film all around. It kind of departures from what Christopher Nolan is used to doing, which is usually a lot of sci-fi movies, but Dunkirk just hit the right note from start to finish. It is an important movie. It is a visual masterpiece, and it's going to be... It has to be nominated for Best Picture Drama at the Golden Globes. It might even win. So I'm locking my prediction here that Dunkirk will be nominated. Then you have... I feel like Dunkirk is like the top tier. And then the rest is kind of up in the air. I'm not sure what else is going to get. Another really, really strong film is The Post. And that's a Steven Spielberg movie starring Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. So that is just... You know, there's so many stars in this movie and so so many big names, especially names when you think about awards and the Oscars. You know, you're like Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, Steven Spielberg. Good golly, this movie has to be nominated. And I think, I think the Golden Globes, more than anything, will support the post because they love star power. Golden Globes, they usually do a pretty good job at nominating and, you know, awarding films that are deserved, but at the same time, they also want to make sure that the biggest stars of the year are at their show so everyone will watch it. And I think there are there is no other film with bigger stars than The Post. So in my opinion, The Post is definitely going to be nominated for Best Picture Drama. So that leaves probably three more slots open. Um, and yeah, what else? I think that the Golden Globes are going to nominate the films Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I have not seen that yet, but heard very good things. And it's kind of like that dark indie darling of a film. And I feel like that will get in. I feel like The Shape of Water will get in. That is Guillermo del Toro's new uh, fantasy slash drama slash romance film starring um, Sally Hawkins. That has been receiving great, great acclaim from audiences and critics all over. So I think they're going to nominate that. And finally, I think they're going to nominate uh, the small film titled Call Me By Your Name. And that is a film that is really receiving a lot of buzz right now for being such a small film and for being a film with a, you know, a topic matter that is that isn't usually rewarded by, you know, these these guilds or these uh, the Academy members and so forth. So, it'll be interesting. I think, if anything, maybe Call Me By Your Name or Three Billboards can be snubbed here. And if they do get snubbed, you have Darkest Hour, which is the Joe Wright, you know, World War II drama. And it kind of gives you a different perspective of Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. And Darkest Hour surely has Gary Oldman at the forefront as Winston Churchill. He is favored to win Best Actor. I'll get to that a little bit soon. But Darkest Hour could easily squeak in here. And Darkest Hour, from what I've been hearing, is your very traditional Oscar film. It's your very old-fashioned, traditional film. It's a drama. There's war. It's very talky, but it's very, very well 
executed, well acted, well directed, and it's like when the when the King's Speech won that year over a more progressive and arguably more acclaimed film like The Social Network, The King's Speech won that year just because it was a very traditional type of Oscar film. So maybe The Darkest Hour will get in here. I don't know. Maybe it'll get in for the Oscars and not the Golden Globes. I don't know. But Darkest Hour is certainly a movie to be reckoned with. And then in addition to that, I think Mudbound can have a chance to squeak in here. Mudbound, of course, is Netflix's movie that they paid the rights to distribute this film. And therefore, they released it in in theaters for a week. And simultaneously released it on their Netflix, you know, platform, so subscribers could watch it the day that it was released in movie theaters. Um, I gave my review of this a couple episodes ago. I love the film. I think it's definitely an Oscar-caliber movie. But I think the the big, big red flag about this film is that it are are voting members of the Academy, are voting members of the Golden Globes, are they prepared to blur that line between streaming services and actual, like, how you traditionally and typically watch a movie, which is in the theaters? If they're willing to blur that line and be like, all right, you know, Mudbound is a movie, and it is a great, great movie, so we're going to acknowledge that as a, as a real film and give it the, you know, the rewards that it deserves, then yeah, it's going to be nominated. But I feel like that has not been proven yet. You know, last year when we had Manchester by the Sea with uh, Casey Affleck, that was an Amazon Studios movie, but they gave it an actual theatrical release and run. They didn't simultaneously release it in the theaters, and then if you're an Amazon Prime member, you could watch it. Like They didn't do that. So they kind of understand how, so far, things have worked but maybe Mudbound could be the movie to, to change things. I don't know. But for my prediction right now, I think Darkest Hour and Mudbound will not be uh, nominated for Best Picture Drama at the Globes, and the other five will. All right, let's move on. Best Picture Comedy Musical. And this is a fun category because, you know, you have your really, really big movies that I feel like will be nominated. I feel like Lady Bird right out of the gates, is certainly going to be nominated for Best Comedy Musical at the Globes. It fits it perfectly. It's an independent film that is making a lot of money, that has received a lot of attention for being the the best-reviewed film in Rotten Tomatoes history. It is a great, great film. Great performance by Saoirse Ronan. Great direction and writing from Greta Gerwig. Lady Bird is definitely going to get nominated. And then I also think that Get Out will also be nominated in this category, which is weird, because Get Out is a very unique type of film where it is kind of a comedy, kind of a horror, kind of a thriller, kind of a drama. It's all over the place. Get Out could easily be nominated in the drama category, but I don't know how they're how they're campaigning this movie. I don't know if the studio is campaigning Get Out to be a comedy or a drama. I'm thinking they're doing, they're going to put it in the comedy race because it's a little bit easier to get in here. And right now, if I'm, you know, an executive for the movie Get Out, I just want to be, I just want to get into the mix of this award season to give myself a chance to be possibly nominated for an Oscar, which would be a great feat for Get Out. So I think Get Out gets in here. And I also think The Big Sick gets in. And again, that's another Amazon Studios film that got a theatrical release. 
uh, Camille Nanjiani, his real life story about him and his wife Emily. This movie was great. It came out in the summertime. It was just a small little movie that made so much money. Everyone watched it. Everyone loved it. It has great performances. The Big Sick, I think, most definitely deserves to be nominated here. And I think it will get it. Um, another film that I think there will, it will get a nomination for Best Comedy Musical is The Disaster Artist. And that is such an interesting choice because you have James Franco... Um, you know, starring in this role where they are kind of like chronicling how one of the worst movies of all time was made, which is, you know, The Room. And it's so, so almost ironic that how a movie about the making of a terrible movie, an infamously terrible movie, is being considered for awards. That is hilarious, but... You know, the reviews have been great. I haven't seen the movie yet, but the reviews have been great. Acclaim is there. Audiences are getting behind it. And I think Disaster Artist will get in here. So that leaves one more spot open. And now it's wide open because any of these movies could get in. You know, you have The Greatest Showman um, with uh, Hugh Jackman. It's, it looks like a really big, extravagant musical. We, we don't have a musical in here, so... Usually, usually one musical slips in, and this might definitely be one. You also have I, uh, Tanya, which is like the Tanya Harding movie. Um, Margot Robbie and, uh, and Janny plays in this movie. Again, I heard good things, but I think it's going to more... They're going to give recognition to the acting performance instead of the movie as a whole. I don't think I, Tanya gets in, but I wouldn't be surprised if it does get in for Best Comedy Musical. You also have Battle of the Sexes, which came out way earlier this year with Emma Stone and Steve Carell, apparently giving really good performances. Um, again, this could sneak in, but I don't think it is. I think the fifth and last nomination for Best Picture Comedy and Musical goes to Beauty and the Beast. It is... Now, I mean, I even forgot that this movie came out this year. This movie came out so early this year. I think early March it came out. So that's so long ago. Will people remember it? Well, they should. You know why? Because it was the number one grossing movie of this year so far. I mean, I know Star Wars hasn't come out yet, and that might explode everything. But as of now, Beauty and the Beast is just a, a box office darling. It is the king it is going to be tough to top, but like I said, Star Wars definitely can do it. But that being said, it fits right into this comedy musical role. It is a light-hearted film. It, is, it, has, it has a lot of music, and it's a beloved movie already because it was the only animated feature to be nominated for Best Picture when there were only five nominees in, in the history of Oscars. So, will Beauty and the Beast get in, maybe? You know, I, I, I haven't seen that movie, but Emma... Emma Watson is a fine actress, and I think Dan Stevens is a, also a fine actor who played the Beast. So I feel like Beauty and the Beast will get in here. Alright, I feel like this is going a little bit long, so I'm going to quickly go down the rest of the categories that I looked at. Best Actress for Drama, I feel like Sally Hawkins and Frances McDormand are locks for their respective movies, Shape of Water and Three Billboards. I, how can you not nominate Meryl Streep for The Post? And then it gets a little bit um, shaky here, but I feel like Jessica Chastain for Molly's Game and Kate Winslet gets in for Wonder Wheel. I haven't seen those movies, but again, they've been getting a lot of good reviews, and these are just all fine actresses. They kind of, whatever movie they do, they're in. The big question mark here is, will 
The Golden Globes give a nomination to Gal Gadot for her role in Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was a great big movie. It was a great success for females in film. It's something that we're not used to seeing. It empowers women a lot. Will the Globes feel kind of necessary to give recognition to Gal Gadot and the success of Wonder Woman? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. As for Best Actor in a... Uh, I think I'm crossing over here. Best Actor in a Drama. Yes, let's stick with Drama right now. Like I said before, I think Gary Oldman is a lock and probably a lock to win for Darkest Hour. But it'll be funny if he wins here or gets nominated and wins here and then Darkest Hour doesn't even get a Best Picture nod. So that could be something. Daniel Day-Lewis in The Phantom Thread. That's a movie that I haven't picked to get nominated for Best Picture. But... I feel like every single time Daniel Day-Lewis does something, he should be nominated, he will be nominated. He is one of our greatest actors, you know, probably ever, and especially living. Um, and he said that this is his last movie. So if this is, without a doubt, his last movie, I think there's no question he's going to be nominated here. Tom Hanks for The Post. What else can be said? Tom Hanks is the man. He's getting get in. Here's the one name that I think we all have to watch out for. Timothy Chalamet, I hope I'm saying that correct, but he stars in Call Me By Your Name, and, you know, I think aside from the really big names here, like I already said, Oldman, Day-Lewis, and Hanks, I think he is this up-and-comer and young actor that, that, from what I've heard, gives such a great performance in Call Me By Your Name, really carries the movie, and can be a very specific threat to any of those three big veterans of, you know, cinema to win these awards. So Timothy Chalamet, remember his name, he might win everything. And then finally, you know, we kind of have a toss-up. I have a toss-up here be between Jake Gyllenhaal and Denzel Washington. Gyllenhaal was in the movie Stronger, and Denzel Washington was in Roman um, J. Israel Esquire. Both give great performances, apparently. I'm going to pick Jake Gyllenhaal over Denzel for some reason. Don't ask me why. Finally, going down to Best Actor and Actresses for Comedy and Musical. Uh, I think James Franco gets in for Disaster Artist. I think uh, Danielle Kaluuya gets in for Get Out. Kamel Najani for The Big Sick. I think Dan Stevens gets in for Beauty and the Beast because... I still predicted that Beauty and the Beast will be nominated for Best Picture, so I think there's going to be a good amount of Golden Globe love for Beauty and the Beast. And finally, I think Hugh Jackman gets in for Greatest Showman. I think, I think they love him enough, uh, and it's going to be a very showy role for Hugh Jackman. So I think the the Globes and the HFPA will nominate him. Next, we have Best Actress for Comedy and Musical. Seriously, Ronan is hands down going to get nominated for Lady Bird. Um, and I think she's the big favorite to win. Margot Robbie for I, Tanya might get in. Emma Stone for Battle of the Sexes. I mean, Emma Stone is, you know, the darling and the princess of Hollywood right now. So I think she definitely gets in just so she can attend the awards. Emma Watson for Beating the Beast. Like I said, I think they're going to show a good amount of love for Beating the Beast. So that should get in. And I think Zoe Kazan, or Kazan, I don't know how to say her name, from The Big Sick, I loved her performance. And But it is a movie that it's easily forgotten because it came out so long ago. But I think if they really recognize The Big Sick for being one of the better films of this year and one of the greatest like, you know, success stories based on the budget that they took and the 
uh, the profits they made from box office returns, I think Zoe should definitely be nominated here. Um, all right, and then finally, best director. Let's go with uh, Chris Nolan for Dunkirk. I think that's hands down going to be a big, big contender here. Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, I think should definitely get nominated. How could you not nominate Steven Spielberg for The Post? I think him, Hanks, and Meryl Streep are the triple threat of all awards, and they, he will definitely be nominated. And that leaves two open spots for a lot of other directors. I think Guillermo del Toro gets in for The Shape of Water. Remember, the Golden Globes are... They are voted upon the Hollywood Foreign Press, and that is a bunch of journalists from all over the world. So usually, the Golden Globes, they like to recognize films that are outside, when they have a little bit of a European or a worldwide type of perspective, they, those movies do slightly better than then they would normally do at the Oscars. So a movie like Dunkirk and a movie like you know, Shape of Water that recognizes Guillermo del Toro, I think has a better chance. So, Guillermo, I think we'll get in here. What did I say? Chris Nolan, Guillermo, Greta, Steven Spielberg. It, it hurts me not to think that Jordan Peele will get in. I feel like he has a really, really good chance to get nominated here. But I think they're going to go smaller and nominate Luca Guadagnino. I might not be saying his name right, but Guadagnino for Call Me By Your Name. Again, I think Call Me By Your Name is definitely going to be a big player come awards season. And this will be the beginning to a lot of success for that movie. But like I said, maybe Martin McDonough gets in for Three Billboards. Maybe Joe Wright gets in for Darkest Hour. And, you know, Jordan Peele definitely has a good chance to get in for Get Out. I just don't, I am just not predicting that. Alright, so that's enough out of me. That was a long one. Sorry to keep y'all hanging for so long. Thanks for listening to the recap with Rob. That's me. I'm Rob. And this is a separate segment off of the Popcorn and Pop uh, Popcorn and Pop Culture Podcast. Peace! <laughs>